welcome to the fintech podcast another exciting episode for all listeners today um i've got a very special guest on the show who will be introducing himself in just a moment um but the company that he has been a part of uh, has been over a decade and um, i think it's coming up to 12 years now um we actually just want to find out a lot more about the company um and a little bit more about uh his thoughts i guess over the last year um we're still in a pandemic it's very strange times um, so without further ado, let's kick it off. Um, Rich, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Yeah, very good, Charlotte. Um, thanks, thanks very much for having me on. Good to speak to you. Oh, it's a pleasure. You know, anything to kind of find the time with you today. Um, you know, it'll just be all ex- very exciting for our listeners. Um, so could you actually for a moment just introduce yourself, your role um, and the company? Yeah, so very briefly, so I'm Richard Wood. I'm the Chief Executive Officer of Synactic Solutions. As you said, I've been here um, 12, 12 years now, and the company itself has been around for 30 years. And for those that don't understand what Synactic Solutions do, effectively, we create bespoke solutions that enable private and public sector organisations to really understand the risks associated with their customers and also how to prioritise good customers. So if you say, what, what does that really mean in layman's terms is we process in any given week millions of applications associated with things like credit cards, mortgage applications, loan applications, or even if you're going for, say, insurance and you're taking out an insurance policy, we process all that data in a way that we can help those organizations make predictions about whether you're a good customer or not. What we want to do is if you're a good customer, we'd like to prioritize your customer journey for these organizations. So you've got a seamless customer journey. Or if you're a bad customer, so for example, if you're involved in criminal activity or fraudulent behavior, what we're actually trying to do is include friction in that journey, slow it down, make sure the right checks are done so that the right customers are onboarded. And obviously in, the, in terms of obviously linked to this podcast, in the mm. tech space, we have to do that by syndicating data. So we share data amongst these organizations so we can make predictions that they couldn't make by themselves. But also, we apply advanced analytics and machine learning to it. So if you'd asked me this question 10 years ago, we wouldn't have had a data science team. Whereas, you know, in today's today's world, and particularly in today's tech world, data science is key, as is AI key to many of the predictions that we make. Uh, and we've got those teams um, right across Synectics now making those, making those predictions. Um, That's so, great. You know, I think what... what you- I was going to say what, what you just said there, you know, a lot of those key topics, you know, we hear it a lot in fintech, you know, data, technology, anything really now, which is to do from the consumer side with a journey. And um, it sounds as though it's already a very thorough process with the company. Yeah, I think so. I think what's probably slightly different um, in terms of Synectic Solutions is whilst we look at things like the latest technology and machine learning algorithms to make predictions about whether a customer should be onboarded or not. It has also required a huge number of years and expertise to build up the data to make those predictions. Because great tech without great data is obviously much more difficult to truly add value to end businesses, whether you're a mortgage company or you're an insurance company. Our view is you you need both to make truly informed decisions about your customers. Absolutely. You know, anything which I think we're going to be talking about this in more depth, um, you know, through this podcast, but I think anything which we've said before on the podcast, you know, to do with the consumer side and the business that, you know, the whole B2C side of things seems to be very significant. um, And, you know, even more so in the last year, year and a half um, with that, you know, I mean, in regards to the pandemic. Um, So I suppose for a moment, Richard, um, 
if we could just talk a bit more about, um, you know, anything that's kind of talking about, you know, the scale, I suppose, what, what, what is the scale of the fraud problem um, that you're seeing at the moment and how does it affect consumers? Okay, um, I think it's it's worth just looking at it at a macro level first of your question. So, so mm-hmm. in an industry body in terms of UK finance looks at, let's say we look at specifically fraud associated with the industry we work in, because a lot of our work is to mitigate fraud and prevent financial crime. And UK finance estimate that UK losses are 52 billion in fraud each year. Obviously, that's a huge number. Um, mm. On the positive side, they also estimate that we probably prevent twice as much of that across the industry. So obviously, you're stopping 104 billion worth of potentially fraudulent cases every year. And how that translates to the average consumer, I guess it works in a, in a number of ways. Um, I think personally that people seriously underestimate their chances of falling victim to fraud and financial crime because I think we're pretty well educated as a country on it. But I think that can uh, that can breed overconfidence sometimes because every, you, know, you and I will understand that if you're applying for some insurance, for example, you bought a new car, you you know, to a fancy new car mm-hmm. and you've got a high insurance premium, a good chunk of that premium is actually associated with fraud because your insurance company is making losses associated with fraudulent insurance claims. You probably already have a feeling for that. And obviously there's a, those are some of the numbers that UK finance will talk about in terms of the 52 billion um, of, of fraud. That's the cost of the UK economy. Now, the other issue I think at a personal level is actually people start to lose trust and confidence in the financial system particularly if they've been victims of financial crime so if they've Mm. been a victim of impersonation fraud it can really affect how they engage in the economy and how they engage with things like taking out new loan facilities or taking out new insurance facilities so there is a personal and individual impact as well as the significant monetary uh, impact that we all experience through higher premiums or high interest rates on our loans. I think that seems to be one of the things, you know, you've explained it quite vividly there, that actually any experience you're gaining, especially from the consumer side, it is going to impact you, whether it's your then questioning or double checking, actually, I'm not sure from the negative experience some consumers have had, um, if they want to necessarily go back to it, you know, whereas insurance, like you said, whether it's if it's a fancy car or if it's to do with the property, you know, it's something which is still required, but, you know, it can make anyone feel uncomfortable to think, actually, am I going to get, you know, another negative experience? Um, I suppose, actually, you know, just just for a moment, I think we're going to be talking about growth, you know, um, in regards to this. But I think, could you just talk about maybe where you've seen it at the moment in regards to fraud? Um in relation to the pandemic, we've, we've, we've touched on that before, where we've said, you know, there's been a rise, you know, in fraud cases, you know, during the pandemic. Is there anything you'd like to offer, you know, from your insights on that? Yeah, I think it's the pandemic has certainly been interesting to watch in terms of fraud trends and how things have evolved and and certainly how they might have may evolve in the next 12 months. So naturally, from a anyone that works in the sort of anti-fraud financial crime industry will always be talking about the evolution of financial crime and how things never stay still. You know, we talk about technology quite a lot is, um, but if you're a financial criminal, you're also speaking and thinking about technology a lot and how you can use that to your advantage. So the bad actors in this space are always evolving and innovating 
participating. And if you, you know, to go to your point about the pandemic is looking at things like consumer behavior and how that was changing. I think partly the pandemic has actually accelerated that. You know, I look at, um, say, for example, my own family and, and my own parents. My own parents would probably never have prior to COVID-19 have done a video call. Whereas mm. now, obviously, not being able to see their grandkids. You know, my mum is intimately familiar with their WhatsApp video calling, which I think is fantastic. But it's an example of where consumer changes have actually accelerated through COVID. So there's a clear benefit to that as organisations adapt to the digital transformation. You know, you're looking for reduced friction from our customer journeys. You're looking at the instant economy, which is normally related to millennials and Generation Z, but now is obviously baby boomers in this example. So I think COVID has been positive in accelerating some of those, those trends. I think a downside of COVID at a macro level is it's you look at the economic stress that COVID has put on people. So people who are maybe without jobs or being on furlough, and you look at how their behavior is influenced and actually potentially how they could be more susceptible to fraud, how they could be more susceptible to being influenced by financial criminals, particularly if they're under financial um, duress. And I, my sense is how what that translates in a, in a fraud world is probably, I'd put it down to three different major trends. One would be identity theft, and we can maybe come back and talk on that in a second. Uh, another one would be money mules. And the last one would be authorised push payment fraud. Uh, if it's okay if you, do you think it's worth maybe delving into each one? Yeah, or? absolutely. I think, you know, probably if we touch on that with my next question, um, you know, it's definitely let, you know, we can talk about that in more detail, but no, please carry on. Okay, so I think, um, you know, some of that is probably slightly um, the lingo of the industry. So if I just explain a little bit about it. So I think identity theft is is obviously well, well known, generally speaking. And um, just out of interest, if anyone takes anything away from this podcast, I, I did it myself this morning. So there's a website called I've Been Pawned. And what that website does is it allows you to see whether your email address has been uh, involved in a data breach or not. And the benefit of that is a lot of identity theft these days is associated with data breaches. So data breaches are obviously massive in the news, huge organizations, whether it's LinkedIn or, or others, where they've lost millions of records of, of customers. And now those customer details are naturally used in fraudulent activity. And a good way of checking your own is have, have a look on a website saying I've been pawned and put your email address in and it'll tell you whether you your email address has been um, lost as part of one of these data breaches. If it has, go and change your password immediately would be would be my advice. And I think one of the things we're seeing back to back to your question and things like COVID-19 is identity theft is on the increase. And part, part of that is customer data availability through data breaches is also unfortunately on the increase. The second one I was just going to touch on was, was money mules. So mon money mules is a really challenging area for the sector and the, the challenge continues because it's very difficult to spot. So a money mule is really where a genuine person with a genuine bank account is used to by a financial criminal to push money through the financial criminal that might not be their own. Um, we recently did a pilot with UK Finance as an example of this where we looked at a black of flats in Cardiff and we did some volumetric analysis and applied some of our machine learning capabilities. 
and we noticed there were 600 different accounts with 241 formally connected mule activity accounts all linked to this single block in Cardiff. And it was clearly a factory for, for either mule herder uh, or organized criminal activity. And that is something because it's hard to spot because these people are genuine, but it is criminals using their accounts to, to push money through the financial system. It's incredibly difficult to spot and continues to be uh, difficult to spot. So I think that's something that will be on the increase. Uh, and the last one, which was the authorised push payment fraud, which is has some personal relevance to me because uh, my own dad was susceptible to it, is where victims are manipulated effectively into making payments for fraudsters. Mm. Uh, and fraudsters do this through tactics, um, which are quite sophisticated in truth through things like social engineering. Uh, and whilst my dad, I would like to say, is an intelligent guy and he's got a master's in IT, um, he got a call from a chap that was saying he was from Microsoft. This guy from Microsoft had noticed some issues on my dad's uh, PC at home and was going to talk him through how to eradicate these issues. Uh, my dad took him up on this offer, obviously allowed this guy connection to connect into his PC. This guy very helpfully removed uh, any issues on my dad's PC and stuff. Um, and my dad paid him £400 for it. Um, it is interesting to see how um, convincing yet manipulative yeah. at the same time, because you, you would, wouldn't you, you know, whether it's, you know, you're saying your dad in this regards or, you know, from anyone from any generation, you know, the amount of times I think, you know, in the last week for me, the amount of phone calls I've had where obviously my phone isn't saying if it's a scam number, but you're double checking, you'll think, yep, it's a scam number, you know, it's going to happen. And obviously, you either fall into that trap indirectly because you think actually, in regards to your dad, you know, it's someone where they're using a, you know, a very convincing and absolutely. popular brand. Um, why, why wouldn't you? But absolutely. Let's get this sorted. It's um, incredibly difficult because we all see that, you know, the, the scams that, that you mentioned, we all see them coming through either through your telephone or your email, all those sorts of things. And some of the low level ones are really easy to spot. But some of them are incredibly sophisticated and, and and these people spend a lot of time understanding how to target human psychology for their benefit um in this context it was unfortunate but my dad lost the 400 pound and there's thousands of other people in the country that have lost similar amounts it just seems to be that it's a very um very sticky web i suppose it isn't you know it's kind of as though there's a very vulnerable hotspot when it comes to scams and you know from what what we saw pre-pandemic perhaps now, like we've said, has been highlighted or emphasised more now going through the pandemic. Um, but it, it's one of those things where it feels very hit and miss that, you know, I guess with some parts, you kind of think, surely there aren't people out there that want to create these very, you know, negative financial dire straits where actually, you know, that they're just doing it because it's part of their job. And it's just, yeah. it's a very sickening so, thought, I suppose. Absolutely. And the, the the pandemic heightens much of this. And I think one thing organisations need to be wary of, obviously, as businesses, we're all trying to look to get UK PLC back on track. And part of the business pressures that come with that is sometimes potentially compromising certain checks that you may do to onboard customers. Because the truth is in the fraud, in the fraud world is it's, you know, it's a playground with, with the fraudsters take advantage of in COVID-19. And I think businesses need to be more diligent as, as do consumers. It's a, it's not a, an attractive thought to think of these organizers or these people taking out such advantage, but it's the truth. And I think we've all got to be vigilant and, and make sure that we're responding coming out of COVID 
making sure we're doing our due diligence. We know our customers, we know the companies that we're dealing with and organizations like Synectic Solutions and others apply the latest and best technology to ultimately help the UK economy get back on track. Absolutely. Yeah, I think I totally agree with what you just said. You know, this is something which I think, you know, I'd like to talk on now. I mentioned before about, you know, growth as one of our topics with this and um, perhaps with what you mentioned, you know, the three different areas, obviously identity theft. Could you perhaps maybe actually talk, um, you know, this is in line with my next question for you, uh, Richard. Could you talk about that in regards to also where you seeing the market evolve uh, into the next 12 months? Could you perhaps maybe merge those two thoughts together? Yeah, I think it's, I think identity theft is is a huge challenge for the market and a lot of the market evolution is going, particularly in this space, into technology such as biometrics. So I think where, you know, if you're logging onto your on, online banking app, you know, maybe five years ago, you might just need a password uh, and that'll be fine. Whereas these days it'll be dual factor authentication and, and much, much more likely to be some form of bi biometrics. Probably 51%, 52% of the fraud that we see in record is linked to identity theft and the, the data breaches um, that we that we talked about earlier. And what that means from a market perspective is we're seeing a lot more collaboration to try and mitigate and root out um, frauds associated with identity theft. Sometimes that involves you know new technology, uh, so whether that's biometric technology whether that is at the point of onboarding customers, people are looking much more at the digital ID space. I think that's probably been uh, a little bit stop-start in the UK over the past few years. We've had some government schemes come out. We've now got some um, pretty good private sector schemes coming out. Um, and I certainly think in the next few years, digital identity will be much more at the forefront of where any of us are applying for something, um, credit cards, loans, mortgages, where digital identity will be key to that to try and reach out to identity theft. It will be a challenge because data breaches are also part of everyone's daily lives. And I think people should be very careful about the details that they put online. Um, I think, you know, I am, I am myself, but even some of the guys in the office, interestingly, who are some consultants for us, will, will still, you know, have their identities breached. And even those guys who know the industry incredibly well have a job to say once you've been the victim of identity theft it is very difficult to make sure your credit history your credit bureau information is back on track and up to date and relevant absolutely i think you know a, a lot of what we're talking about hope is hopefully you know for a lot of our listeners is going to be stuff that you know listeners whether if it's businesses listening consumers a lot of it is stuff that's you know we're already witnessing um, you know, like I said, it's heightened even more, you know, with the reaction of the pandemic and anything moving forward, it, it will be, I suppose, interesting, not in like a morbid way, but it'll be interesting to see the even more risks or even more challenges, which we're going to see when we hopefully do hit a point when it's post pandemic, you know, is there going to be a time where actually there's more reassurance and comfort in the fintech industry instead of thinking, it's still happening you know we've gone through a pandemic and yet you were still seeing these fraud cases there you know, this friction um taking place it, i think it'll be interesting to say the least well i think that i certainly in the fintech industry i certainly think that the great thing about the pandemic is the acceleration of moving towards a much more digital economy whereby you know 
things are online and done much more securely online. You know, I give the example of, um, you know, my parents using uh, WhatsApp and things before. I think mm-hmm. those are great and positive things. And I think the application of some of this, these fintech capabilities is actually for the good of the consumer. Um, so I think there are some real positives that will come out of it. So. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, we've we've talked a hefty chunk, I'd say, you know, on on the pandemic, obviously, a lot of it is going to be um, from the side of what we're seeing as a negative impact. Um, I just want to move on for a second, actually, to do more with the emerging trends, which I was mentioning before, but actually, um, for my next thought for you, uh, Richard, the UK government economic crime plan specifically highlights collaboration, you know, as a key driver for fraud, financial crime defences, how important is collaboration in your opinion? Um, and how can organizations collaborate with one another in the post, you know, GDPR world? I think it's a good question. I think collaboration is essentially what really underpins all of our activities to prevent fraud um, and organized financial crime. I think without collaboration, um, we wouldn't be able to do that. I think the problem is far too big to solve by any, any individual organisation acting on their own. I think the sophistication of the criminals is too, is too great. Um, and I, I think the data that individual organisations has to make predictions is too small. And therefore, collaboration is absolutely, absolutely key. I think if you look at it from a UK perspective, I actually think you know we do some work overseas. We've got some activities in North America and across Europe. And what we actually see from a UK perspective is actually the UK market is genuinely world leading. I think that's a great thing for UK PLC. I think there's organizations like Synectics and others in the UK that help with the collaboration. I think we've got great relationships with UK government through. So in our example, we work with the cabinet office as part of their national fraud initiative. And again, the, the cabinet office in that sense are world leading in what they do in terms of collaboration. Uh, so I think the UK is actually well set. I think we've got things that will, which I can touch on in a sec, that will improve that. Uh, but I think we're doing very well. The other thing I'd say from a, your point about GDPR is actually, I think for organisations that have been collaborating already and doing it in a consumer-centric way for the benefit of consumers, GDPR has actually been a good thing. And I think GDPR actually benefits us on that. I think it creates some other challenges overseas, but I think from a UK perspective, I think it's, it's worked well. I think things like, from a UK government perspective, they've already been through the National Fraud Initiative for 20 years they've been collaborating. And I think some of the trends there we're seeing with those guys and some of the activities that they're following up on is they're using things like the Digital Economy Act, which allows further sharing of information um, mm-hmm. for specific reasons. That is actually increase their ability to mitigate fraud risks across government um, and I think we see that from the work that the cabinet office does with HMRC I think we also see it through some of the work we do with the cabinet office to mitigate fraud in other sectors such as utilities so utilities fraud or where it's soft fraud for things associated with things like single person's discount for people that aren't eligible so effectively these criminals take money away from a, a government pot that is associated with you know, people are having benefits that they deserve rather than the ones that they don't. I think there's an awful lot of good work that goes goes on there. However, I think there are some I think there are some significant challenges with with collaboration. A lot of those challenges are at a macro level. If you look overseas, 
many of the big money laundering cases overseas, which, you know, if you're familiar in the industry, there's um, huge money laundering cases involving the proceeds of crime, involving hundreds of millions of pounds from organisations like Danske Bank, Swedbank, Deutsche Bank. More collaboration would, in my view, would have helped prevent some of this criminal activity. And I think we also see that funnel into the UK. So you might think, oh, well, Eastern European money laundering cases don't have much of a connection with the UK, whereas I think they do. Um, a lot of these organisations have actually, or these cases are actually involved organisations registered with Companies House. So if you look at Companies House as a register, and there's lots of reforms associated and going on with Companies House, if I'm a criminal and I'm operating overseas, having a UK registered, registered company gives me a certain veneer of credibility. So obviously the UK financial services market is, is well respected around the world. And if I've got a business in the UK, that might also be well respected. I think the issues with that in a collaboration sense is actually companies houses there and registers these organizations, whether it's limited liability partnerships or, or limited companies. And they might have been created for the sole purpose of committing financial crime. And then you see organizations like Danske Bank, Swedbank, Deutsche Bank being hit by massive money laundering spends. And I think more collaboration in that sense would work much better. I think if you combine it with things like what we talked about, trends in the market with checking the identities of directors or designated members for these companies would be helpful. But all these things are challenges for the future. But I, do, I still think very positively from a UK perspective, actually collaboration so far has, has held us in good stead and has allowed us to have some very good results, albeit there's still much more to do. I think what we'll talk you know, about now is obviously more from the UK perspective that you mentioned, but really combating fraud, collaborate, collaboration seems to be key, you know, anything which can kind of help mitigate it, anything to really see, right, this is, this is kind of the solution we're trying to hold with this, you know, and I think at the end of the day, it does seem to be the number one priority that we, again, mentioning it to the pandemic, but any bit which is then bringing it back to fraud seems to be very significant that if you're not seeing any collaboration or partnership where you're trying to kind of really reduce the risk, um, then it seems to be, I don't know, poor practice. And I think, you know, just to move on for a second, Rich, um, if we talk about combating fraud, um, especially in regards to the UK, obviously fraud has an astonishing low conviction rate in the UK. Um, despite its prevalence as a crime, um, what more could be done to, you know, convict perpetrators, you know, of fraud and how are Synetic supporting the likes of law enforcement, you know, and the wider public sector? Okay, um, I think overall my personal views on things like law enforcement and fraud is obviously they do have very low conviction rates and if you look at the levels of fraud reported in the UK economy versus those conviction rates, it's staggeringly low. However, I also think that law enforcement has a really tough challenge on their hands. You know, if you mm. look at the general public in terms of, uh, if, or if you look at public opinion about certain criminal behaviour, fraud tends to be low on, a, on the, any individual's list. You know, if you talk about much more um, serious crimes that are in, in a sense of burglary, murder, or all sorts of things, it's a more tangible sort of crime. And law enforcement naturally will have to focus on those things, whereas fraud and losses to a bank, for example, might seem a little bit more distant to, to the average consumer, even though the ultimate outcome of that, as we've been discussing, has an impact on the APR on their credit card or how much they pay for their insurance premium. 
I think law enforcement has a really tough job in that space. They're all really good things that they do in that space. So there's the dedicated card and payment crime unit, which is contributed to by banks. And, you know, they report tens of millions of fraud savings every year through their work. So I think there's some great work that, that goes on there. We'll link it to Synectic Solutions and, and the way we, I guess the lens we see it through is, mm. That law enforcement is at the end, obviously, trying to, the crime has happened and they're trying to prosecute. Where we're trying to focus is right up front is actually, why don't we try and prevent it and detect it in the first place? I think that's where the value of our organisation comes in. And that's where we, we put our, our efforts. There are challenges there, because I think the customers that we work with and the clients that we work with, where we share data for the benefit of the collective organization or the collective syndicate creates issues of displacement so for example if you're an organization and you don't want to collaborate you're probably more likely to be the victim of these organized crime gangs than you are versus the organizations that are collaborating so i think there are displacement issues which which are hard to measure and obviously they're not good for uk uk plc I certainly think Synectic's role is much more on the prevention and detection side. Find it up front and try and do something about it up front. Part of that leads us on to what I think is the fraud leading to financial crime. Mm -hmm. I think fraud in the concept of being viewed as a predicate to actually organised financial crime is a good way to look at it. And that's something that we're pushing quite a lot on. We think fraud is an unsung part of the financial crime defences. And if you can stop fraud, you can also mitigate some of the really big, you know, at the extreme end, you've got money laundering and terrorist financing, which ultimately leads back to some fraudulent activity. And we think back on that fraud front, that is where we can have a really tangible um, impact. So we work with organisations such as, which is part of the UK government funded, so there's the Future of Financial Intelligence Sharing Study, which is ongoing, uh, and we're a part of that and, and actively contributing to that. Where we're looking at the underlying reasons why we're supporting that study, which are intelligence is fundamental to systematically screening financial crime. And we also think that from a domestically and international perspective, wider industry agreement to prevent fraud is a predicate to financial crime is a really good way of looking at it. So if you look at the money, money laundering industry as a tangible example is money laundering from these criminal organizations is inhibited by very specific regulatory frameworks, which is there to disrupt it. We mm. think if you, if you overlay specific fraud frameworks as well, that we can be collectively be much more effective at, at stopping things like terrorist, finance, terrorist financing in this example. Um, maybe to give you something um, relevant to our organisation that we do is, I don't know if you've, have you heard of SAR reports before? Suspicious I have, yes. Oh. Yeah, they but, seem to be quite, quite significant, um, especially with the reports that come up. I think some of our listeners actually would be interested. Yeah, so, so obviously banks will, by their, you know, the very nature of their operations, need to, under FCA regulations, submit suspicious activity reports generally associated with certain transactions or unusual behaviour on accounts which they think could be linked to criminal activity. There's lots of challenges with SAR reports despite their good intentions such as uh, huge false positives, how many can be looked at, you know, 1% of the 1% can be looked at, all these sorts of issues are discussed with SAR reports. 
But one of the things that we were looking to do through proof of concept with some of our clients is to say, actually, by the time you're submitting a SAR report, you're submitting something that is saying, actually, I've got an account here where I've got concerns with suspicious activity and maybe some criminal behavior. We're looking to see whether our tech and our data can predict that before it actually gets to that stage, i.e. at the point you onboard this business or this customer, is there an indication of some sort of or risk factors that would indicate that actually they're more, much more li likely to be involved in suspicious activity once they've gained the financial services from you? Uh, so mm -hmm. we think doing some of that work, working with the FFIS to link fraud and financial crime much more closely and through a, a more or better defined regulatory framework will help us use fraud as a predicate to financial crime and make a much bigger difference to UK PLC. Now, there's lots of organisations involved, lots of people doing positive things in this space, but I'm hoping that the outcomes will gravitate us towards a, a better framework in the UK and internationally to, 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 well, to stop the bad guys really in this country. Definitely. I think it's a very you know, important point you just mentioned there. And I think, you know, we're seeing clear examples of how, you know, Senesic Solutions are really combating um, anything in, in regards to obviously our key topic today has been to do with, you know, fraud, um, you know, any sort of friction in that case. Um, I think, you know, we, we are coming towards the end of the conversation today for the podcast. But actually, before we, before we do conclude this, um, I just wondered, obviously, we are seeing the positive impact you as a company are having in the fintech industry. Do you perhaps have, in a few words, any advice or any thoughts for either anyone listening that's either, you know, from a business perspective or as a consumer, any kind of thoughts going forward in regards to fraud, you know, any sort of advice? Yeah, I think I think probably if I split the consumer and business ones, I think from a consumer perspective, it, it is to be vigilant. I think the digitization of the services you get from banks, insurance companies, telcos, are really positive things and you can use them to your advantage. You're managing your current accounts and things these days. It's a much better way to be done on your app in my in my view, but just be careful. Check websites like have I been pwned, make sure your email hasn't been compromised. If it has, make sure you've got a strong password. I think from a business perspective is, the thing that really excites me in the FinTech world is the application of really advanced technology and really good quality data that allows us to make predictions and inform decisions that organizations couldn't really do them by themselves. So I think things like biometrics, machine learning, those sorts of technologies can be really helpful to consumers. They are technologies that are used by organized crime gangs. And unless we're using them as well, then we'll fall further behind in the fight against fraud and financial crime. And I think from a business perspective, it is, no business should be out there thinking they can do it by themselves, whether they work with Synectics or, or they're working with other peers in the market. I think combating these things for the good of UK PLC is a collaborative effort and should always be seen to be so. I think that's a, that's great. That's a significant bit of advice that, you know, anyone that's hopefully tuned in today will be, you know, thinking about it, double checking, thinking, you know, how they can really put this impact moving forward from a consumer or business side. Um, so no, it, this is this is great, Rich. I think, you know, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today for starters, having the time to talk with you. And um, I wish you all the best, you know, obviously for yourself and for the company moving forward. Um, hopefully, you know, once we hit a stage where, um, let's say it's gonna be the new normal, you know, post pandemic. So thank you so much for your time.
Rob, enjoy the conversation. Thanks for your time. Good to speak to you, Charlotte. Thank you.